everyone. Welcome back to Strong Reception with me, Eli James. Thank you so much for listening as I continue to talk with candidates who are running for a very important seat in a very underserved section of New York City, the 37th City Council District in Brooklyn. This is my fourth candidate interview with Democrats who are running in the June 22nd primary for this seat. You can check out my half-hour interviews with the other candidates, which are already online, including uh, with Sandy Nurse, Rick Echevarria, and Mizba Abdeen. This time, I'm talking with Brooklyn native Chris Dorosimi, who is hoping to win this council seat away from the incumbent Democrat Dharma Diaz in a hotly contested primary. Uh, by the way, I've been trying to get Dharma Diaz on the show, uh, but but it's been hard getting a response from her campaign team. They have been unresponsive, in fact. Uh, It's a shame because she takes a fair amount of heat on this show for what happened in last year's election, and, and I'd love to have her on Strong Reception to explain her point of view. So far, no such luck. Hey, if you are liking Strong Reception and its mission of informing more people about our imperfect voting system and going in hard on music history, I ask that you help me share it. Uh, I'm trying to let more people in my community know about how, when, and why to vote in a city and state that make it very hard to understand any of these things. You know, when when I talk to people I know in my community here in New York, many of them don't know what's going on with our elections. Uh, They don't know how to register to vote, let alone who's running in our gigantic city primary that opens up on June 12th, or how New York's political system works, which, again, is by design not easy to understand. And you know, that's okay. I was the same way until a couple of years ago. But I realized that it's that lack of understanding that leads to disengagement and extremely low voter turnout numbers, which in turn leads to a small fraction of our electorate picking the people meant to serve the whole city or whole state. And when I first dug into New York's election laws and saw how messed up they were, I became determined to spread the word about how we vote and how we can make it better. So if you think this is a mission worth spreading the word about, I'd really appreciate it if you shared this episode with a friend or a family member or a co-worker. If you have one, I don't, but I'd like one. And subscribe to Strong Reception wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. And now on to my interview with Chris Durasimi, one of the five Democrats running in the primary for city council in the 37th district during this crucial time for New York and its recovery from COVID-19. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Strong Reception with me, Eli James. Uh, I am continuing my interviews with candidates who are running in the Democratic primary for city council in New York's 37th district, an underserved area of Brooklyn that I live in and which went through all of 2020 without a city council member looking out for its people. Uh, That was our coronavirus year zero, of course. Uh, This race is of particular importance to me as I feel this district got robbed of a democratic process last year, and people are still suffering from that lack of representation. Okay, so uh, we are coming up on voting time here in New York in one of the biggest municipal primaries the city has ever seen. We are picking a mayor, a public advocate, a controller, all five borough presidents, and dozens of city council members, uh, plus a bunch of judges. Uh, These are all crucial roles in our governing system. 
If you're in New York, remember, voting starts on June 12th and runs through Election Day on June 22nd. Go to voting.nyc, where you can look up your polling places. Uh, Your early voting place and your Election Day place may very well be different, so it's good to double-check. Also, on June 15th, uh, that is the last day to postmark your absentee ballot application by mail or to send an application by email. Voting.nyc will be able to help you figure all this out and be ready. So today, I am pleased to welcome a newcomer to the show and a relative newcomer to the city council race, Chris Dorosimi. Chris Dorosimi is one of the few candidates currently running in this race for the 37th District who did not attempt to run to fill this seat last year after former council member Rafael Espinal stepped down from his post. All the other candidates I've had on the show so far uh, tried to run last year, but got booted off the ballot after some questionable power moves allowed by New York's arcane electoral system. Chris Dorosimi is one of four Democratic candidates attempting to unseat the current incumbent council member, Dharma Diaz, who ran unopposed in the primary last year after all those ballot bootings took place. So uh, Chris Dorosimi knows the 37th district, having grown up in the Glenmore Plaza houses in Brownsville and now residing in Bushwick, which is my neck of the woods. Uh, The 37th district in Brooklyn includes parts of those neighborhoods, plus sections of East New York and Cypress Hills. Uh, Chris is currently the Assistant Director of Government and Community Affairs for the Wildlife Conservation Society, where he has been working since 2017. Prior to that, he was a community coordinator for Mayor de Blasio's Pre-K for All initiative, which ensured universal pre-kindergarten education for all New York City children age four and up. He also served as a staffer to former City Council member Eric Delan, and was also on the staff of former New York State Assembly member Martine Delan. He is also a current Coro Leadership New York Fellow, one of a competitively selected group who are working on policy issues to improve the lives of New Yorkers. Chris has used this fellowship to focus on New York's response to COVID-19 and its ongoing COVID-19 pandemic recovery. Chris Dorsimi, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you, Eli. Thank you for having me. No, it's my pleasure. So, um, so you you are one of the few, if not the only, candidate running in the Democratic primary for this council seat this year who did not attempt to run last year. Uh, several of the candidates running now did attempt to run a year ago, but got kicked off the ballot for some fairly suspect reasons. There were petition challenges from the incumbent. There were board of election decisions. There were executive orders that were unclear, mm-hmm. and there were some really contradictory, unclear state Supreme Court decisions. Uh, Did you follow what happened last spring with the the canceled special election to fill Rafael Espinal's open seat, and then the subsequent primary election in which (laughs) all of the candidates except Arma Diaz were kicked off the ballot uh, by the Board of Election and the courts? Did you you watch that, and what did you think about it? Yes, yes. So um, I did follow it. I always dub it the election that never happened. Mm-hmm. There was a lot, as you mentioned, there was a lot going on, especially as COVID started to rear its ugly head. Yeah. So it it, it definitely it, it was definitely questionable in the sense that everything was, you know, everything was halted. Yes. Uh you know, petitioning was halted, um, uh, especially due to safety concerns. We didn't know what we were dealing with at the time. Right. As the process started to draw out. And the governor can't well push the election out to June, and then I think canceled it altogether. 
Yeah, the special election, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that at the same time, the Queensborough president race still took place. So I, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure what happened there. And I'm also unclear as to, you know, how like petition challenges all throughout. So you halted petitioning, you know, because of safety concerns, but yet you still go through challenges and, you know, knocking everybody off the ballot despite those, um, despite those concerns. Right. Right. So I think at that point, um, the governor reduced the amount. I think to get on the ballot, you needed 900, which was then reduced to 450. But then there was an argument between 150, no, 270 and 135. You go back and forth, say 70% of which one, Yeah. uh, which I think could have been easily remedied through another executive order. Right. Um, I don't know why that didn't happen. I don't know, you know, if the mayor or the governor didn't want to get involved in that. But at the same time, they didn't leave any stopgap for adequate representation for almost a year. Yeah. Um, and this is where oh, many of us, you know, I would say my, myself and other candidates um, stepped up to fill that leadership gap, whether it's I know me personally, it was ensuring that food was delivered to our most vulnerable. It was doing check-ins to our seniors to make sure that they're okay, both at night developments and throughout the district. Um, and, you know, it was, I was definitely pulling in resources from friends throughout the city saying, you know, what, what can we do? How can we work together to ensure that our communities are eating, have the applicable resources and ensuring that they're receiving these resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite the the hijinks i mean this also goes into the the big flaws in our election electoral system um where you know this shouldn't be a mechanism where we go so long without representation yeah uh yeah because uh, according to city law like the if there is no representative in our city council seat that duty falls on the the speaker um who's already swamped with a bunch of other things and uh Apparently, there were like two staff members from Espinal's staff who were kept on for like six months or something, but uh, were let go. And I don't think there was just anything getting done. Well, and and that's that's the other thing too, right? So you have I don't know if it if the solution is a, a snap election, um, or and or rather, let me be more specific. I what could have been done at that point in time, given the safety concerns by which we were dealing with and the response that by which we were working with as it pertains to COVID. Um, mm-hmm. Moving it back and ensuring that everybody's on so that everybody has a say, that is one thing. I know personally who've had, you know, friends and family pass away due to COVID, campaigning was exception would would have been exceptionally exceptionally hard. Yeah. And difficult, right? So is the right call pushing it out to November? Let's everybody received, you know, everybody got on a ballot. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I would say to even leave it in the hands of the speaker for as long as you have who don't have intricate ties to the district mm-hmm. um, was concerning. Yeah. You know, they don't. And that's not a knock. It's more so saying, you know, our districts have intricate needs, our communities have intricate needs. In addition to a district-wide uh, service or providing mm-hmm. a district-wide service, so I think those things weren't met throughout the pandemic. 
Yeah, I also wonder if a factor that could be remedied in this, and I don't know how well this would work, but you know, New York elections, we still you have to go out and get signatures in person with a pen and paper. Well, I, so I was also part of the coalition that um, fought and was part of the lawsuit to stop petitioning um, this okay. round because of COVID concerns. I think that we can do petitions online for almost anything else. I don't mm-hmm. see why we can't utilize the technology that we have to you know, encourage more people to participate in elections in a safe manner. Yeah. Yeah, it it does seem very old fashioned. Um, well, you brought up, uh, you know, sort of stepping in to sort of fill this gap in representation uh, while the our district and of course the whole city was really suffering during COVID nineteen. On top of this being already an underserved district, um, what are you hearing from voters that you talk to about what they really need right now? Uh, I, I would say it's jobs, right? It's a job safety it has actually gone more so now to as i wouldn't say simple but things like garbage cleanup mm-hmm. so throughout the pandemic sanitation has just about stopped collecting garbage i see that every and not day to say, not to say you know they're not doing their jobs but it has been a huge reduction on garbage collection services in the neighborhood to where you have mutual aid groups doing cleanups on almost a daily basis at this point yeah. Right. So, and you know, you talk to sanitation, you know, to advocate for more garbage cans, for example. And they say, well, you know, this area doesn't need more garbage cans because of X, Y, and Z. And like, I can walk outside my, my door and see garbage lying low. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the street clean, the street sweepers, even with alternate side, I think that was canceled for about a good six, seven months. Yeah. But even when they started back, I, w- I can, honestly attest that I've seen our first street cleaner uh, come through two weeks ago. And it was just coming mm-hmm. down the middle of the street, not on the, on the curb. So mm-hmm. making people move their cars and still not cleaning the street. Uh, so it, it, it comes down to those quality of life issues. So yes, mm-hmm. the workforce development, food insecurity, um, access to technology, those are very major issues that's only been exacerbated during the pandemic. But also things like garbage cleanup and keeping yeah. the streets clean. It's interesting. You know, I just want to go back to something you mentioned that uh, I haven't actually uh, hasn't come up before on the podcast. The specificity of the lack of trash cans in the in the area. Um, I've definitely noticed that. And and for anyone who doesn't live in New York City, like you know, it's common to see trash cans on the corners uh, for people to use for for individual pieces of trash. And you can walk for blocks and blocks around here and not see one. Um, and, and I think that's why one reason a lot of stuff just, unfortunately people decide to just not endorsing this, but toss their stuff on the ground. Mm. Um, I wonder also if that's a reason there's, uh, sorry to say this, but for me, this is also a quality of life issue. So much dog waste on the sidewalks. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other story. That, that's a whole other story. I, I okay. do think I, I am a firm believer of curbing your dog, your dog. Yeah. Uh, I would say. Sanitation, one thing this pandemic has brought to light is that there are a lot of laws on the books that needs to be revisited, right? Mm-hmm. From, you know, from the formula to where trash cans are placed to uh, having to, to go alcoholic beverages, right? Just mm-hmm. laws that people looked at and said, okay, well, we can scale this back. Or the requirements to have open streets, 
Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many barriers to have open streets and essentially the city was like, well, people need outdoor space. People need public space. And um, pause, or rather suspended many of the laws that prevented that from happening and created a system by which streets can apply for open streets. So I think that's something we can build upon, um, something I would like to do in the city council and say, okay, this is what we had to even uh, put on hold as we began to recover from this pandemic. Does it make sense to even have these laws on the books? Or how do we enhance the law? Or how do we ensure that the law is applicable in the 21st century? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say as far as, and I don't want to make the big, the, the, the sole issue trash cans, but it no, was alarming to to hear that, you know, sanitation feels as though the placement is equitable, right? So they determine it by, you know, transportation, restaurants, and, you know, business corridors over, you know, the residential uh, structure of the, of an area, right? So not only, so essentially we don't have enough trash cans because we don't have enough transportation hubs or small businesses or, you know, and so if that's the case, what is the city doing about that? Mm-hmm. Right. And oh, going back to, I don't think it's equitable at all, especially when you have a largely residential community. Yeah. Cause that's one thing that nobody really talks about is that as opposed to other districts, this is a largely residential community. Uh, we have our business corridors in Bushwick and Cypress Hills um, and within Brownsville, but for lack of, yeah, it's largely residential. And yeah. I think something like, you know, again, trash pickup or lighting under, you know, Fulton Street um, are quite a life issues that needs to be adhered to and not given the excuse of saying we have no money for it. Right. Okay, great. Well, if you don't mind, I will uh, maybe draw the the subject matter back to voting because I, I tends to be where I keep my beat, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Um, so I want to. There have been a lot of changes in New York, the way New York votes, and just instituted in the last couple of years, largely the the result of um, getting a majority in the state Senate, uh, a Democratic majority in the state Senate for the first time in many years. That that happened in the 2018 election, and the first thing they did in 2019 was pass a lot of voting reforms that have continued. We finally got early voting. Mm-hmm. Behind so many other states, where we now have uh, a period of uh, ten days to vote, and um, we also the one of the most the most recent reform happened last month, and this is a very big one: restoring the right to vote to people released from prison. Uh, but we still have so long to go, I think, in New York to instill trust in our election system. We're still a place that has very low voter turnout historically. Uh, so what are your thoughts on on where the city and state need to go next to restore this trust, make sure votes are counted, which is a problem that actually comes up quite frequently with our board of elections? Yes. And I don't think there's a civil bullet to that issue. Sure. Um, I would say for one, same day, same day voter registration needs to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and you know, we there was a great start with um, the voting reforms passed by the Senate. I think we can also go further. So, like for example, with online voter registration, it's difficult if you don't have a driver's license, right, right. or a state ID, or you know, you're, you're trying to. It's not user friendly to yeah, register to vote or not. And I think we could do a better job with you know, updating our technology to make that possible. Um, 
and I and I think we'll get there. I don't think this is something where we'll we're gonna say job well done, everybody go home. Mm-hmm. But I think this is stuff that we need to continue to push the button on. Um, again, with same day voter registration as well. And I also I think um, one thing I recognize is you know people who move and you know they miss the deadline to move or or to change their address, yeah. right? Yeah. But the deadline to register at large just recently passed, right? And I think it should be one of the same. So it was May 28th, I believe, was yep. the last day to register. And then with the last day to change your address is, yeah, I'm looking at my notes. It says, notice of change of address in your existing registration must be received by June 2nd. And today is June 1st. Um, so yeah, you would have already wanted to get it in Bye. Mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. But- yeah, no, there's a lot of ways you can you can be tripped up by these dates. Yes. Yes. And I think if we were to make it more um, more streamlined, mm-hmm. you won't have people, you don't have the photo fatigue, right? Or you don't, oh, yeah. Because also he, the other thing is that, what, or rather what I recognize through um, knocking on doors is that people really feel disenfranchised. People really feel that their vote doesn't count or it doesn't matter or that, you know, historically- you know, we vote people in or people come around during election time and, you know, they disappear after. Mm-hmm. So we can change all this and make it easier for people to register to vote and to vote. Don't get me wrong. But I think part of it is also reigniting the importance of voting. And at the, in, again, that's part of one reason why I'm running is saying, hey, I've worked in sh- to make sure that government works for the people that live around me. And I want to keep that momentum going because government can work. So, so when you say you, people, you know, you want to reignite people's enthusiasm for voting and making sure their vote matters, how, how do you um, how do you further that cause? How do you help with that? So, whether it is whether it's voter education or saying that you know there's an issue that can be you know that is solved, right? It's mm-hmm. it's saying you know what. I was able to get this done because I voted for a representative or you put your faith in me to have this happen. Right. Right. So I got in what even started all of this in, in my life's journey is that there was a bus stop that our grandmother used to utilize the B40 and it would come around. It would start from Liberty Avenue and go to Kings County hospital. Mm-hmm. And I was around nine years old at the time. It was slated to get taken away. The bus line eliminated totally. Hmm. Um, I went to my assembly member at the time. And again, this, this is my mother literally walking me down the block saying, hmm. you know, talk to, talk to your elected official. Um, told him the issue, you know, wrote all the information down that I had um, and didn't hear back. Concurrently, I, was, I did a class project where we wrote letters to the White House and we, the class got letters back, personal letters back from Bill Clinton. Hmm. So I'm here thinking, okay, this bus stop got eliminated. My grandmother has to find a different way to get, you know, to a doctor's appointment. Meanwhile, the president of the United States wrote me back, you know, talking about whatever issue I was talking about. Right. So, wow. yeah. And so for me, it's whether you could solve the issue or not, because for me, I was more upset at the fact that I didn't hear anything yeah. than the actual elimination of the bus stop. 
So yeah. I can also attest, and this is as a nine-year-old kid. So I can I can see and understand why people feel as though government or electeds don't work for them or help them out. Yeah. And only come around during election time. Yeah. Right? My thing I, is, hey, I wrote to my congresswoman last year about an issue that, that I was uh, having and uh, never heard back from anyone, still haven't. And then next thing I know, I'm on their mailing list just with, you know, with re-election campaign email spam. And I'm like, well, <laughs> definitely unsubscribe because you never- <laughs> But I get, are you going to address my issue though? Yeah. You know, and so at the very least, people want to feel as though they've been heard. So people want to know that they, you know, people are working for them. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's saying, you know, this is what I've done over the last 16 years. This is what I want to do. And this is what I'm currently working on. Um, uh, so it's, and don't get me wrong, once elected, you know, if I have the honor and pleasure to serve, I'm pretty sure the issues will pile up, but I also believe, you know, Hey, there's staff to help out with those issues. There's staff to, right. you know, converse with the residents and saying, you know what, we're working on. It, so this is where we at, or you know what? This can't happen because of X, Y, and Z. Let's work out a, you know, a, a workaround. You know, mm-hmm. let's figure this out together. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really have that uh, in government, right? Most times. So it, it's when I worked on a pre-K for all initiative. It was you know going door to door was you know calling you know residents and saying you know do you have a four year old kid? Let's walk through the application with you. You okay. know, let's, let's, let's take out the burden. We know you don't have time, so I'm going to help you out. So you can mm-hmm. get back to what you're doing. Uh, you don't have that. That's not, that's not the norm. Right. And it should be. Right. And I think once we're able to really, you know, put that back together, people would be, are fond of voting and not voting out of anger either. It's voting of, this is, this is the candidate who I know can work for me. Right. Right. On that note, in in terms of um, helping residents feel like their vote matters, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about the fact that we now have a law on the state book saying that if you, when you are released from prison on parole, you can vote, which previously was not the case for for many many years. Um, how think, do you think that's going to impact? I think that's a long time coming, right? Mm-hmm. So, first off, we don't do enough for reentry, mm-hmm. writ large. Um, it's cool. You served your time. Here's a bus ticket. Good luck. Right. And it may not even be a bus to but insert mode of transportation back home here. Right. Right. There's no, there's very few programs that provide reentry services or workforce development programs that would hire, um, formerly incarcerated individuals. And of those, they're overworked because you have a large population coming home. Mm hmm. Right, and so also when you talk to, uh, when you talk to those who are formerly incarcerated, not only do they have the burden of finding housing, finding a job, but also saying, "Hey, you should come vote." They don't know. They don't know right. that they can vote. Right? right. That's. There should be a you served your time. Because this is, this is we're talking about rehabilitation, right? We're not talking about a lifelong punishment. Um, so, a, I think it's a good thing. I think we should like really do a concentrated voter education campaign, but also tie that in to a actual package of um, reentry services mm-hmm. that encompass workforce development programming, that encompass, you know, actual housing, right? That actually gets these individuals back on their feet. 
Yeah. You know, you raise another interesting point that I, I think about quite a lot. I think especially in New York City, maybe it's the same everywhere. I don't know. But I, I feel like New York, you talked about sort of feeling this feeling of being overwhelmed by all the stuff stuff you have to deal with in your life on a daily basis in this town. And if you're just getting released from prison, it's it's even more stuff. Um, all the things we have to do to just pay our bills and put food on the table and pursue our dreams, hopefully, you know. Mm. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of competition. Um, and like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of quality of life issues. Sometimes it's hard to not feel overwhelmed. And I think about how often we are asked to vote in this city. Um, we have elections every year, uh, sometimes several times a year with special elections. Uh, and sometimes these races are made uh, are made up of dozens and dozens of candidates uh, that you know I want to give an, uh, an I want to be an informed voter, but it's a lot of work. Um, and sometimes I wonder, like, are are we just being asked to do too much. I don't know. I don't know the, what the answer is. It feels I weird mean, to say that, but I don't know what the answer I mean, is. I mean, that's fair, right? You made that. It's a very valid point, right? So you, I just say you're, you're working, trying to put food on the table, your rent's going up, your salary isn't, right. you, you're trying, you might have to take care of, you know, uh, a senior or your parent, grandparent, what have you, a child. And then you have somebody knocking on your door on a daily basis saying, vote for me. For X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z, right? They're not just, you know, one, two. And I'm speaking as a candidate and as, you know, a person who recently had a child mm -hmm. who is still on a campaign trail and like is trying to do all the things. Yeah. Um, it is very easy to get overwhelmed. And it's it, it comes back to why why do I care? Oh, what I try to as I knock on doors and talk to people because I, I would agree. Yeah, it's a lot. You, you're dealing with all these things. And I can say I have a plan, but what is it that's really impacting you? Let's have a discussion about that. Mm -hmm. And for some people, they're like, are you serious? And and for me, it's like, no, I'm I'm actually serious. I can talk about what I want to do all day. Mm -hmm. But that's, right. you know, I, I'm elected to represent roughly 140, 150,000 people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's getting an aggregate on what's important to them. And what can, what can we do to make their lives just a little bit easier at the end of the day? Hmm. Uh, whether it's, you know, childcare and having resources for childcare, whether it's, you know, having workforce development programs that actually hire and train from the community. Um, and rather, and you raised a very valid point um, earlier about just, just getting by. I was a child of opportunity. Um, right. So I, I'm a product of the village that raised me. Mm -hmm. I've had, I was blessed to have in Glenmore and throughout in Brownsville, you know, a village that would tell my parents about programs that are happening, that resources that, you know, I could partake in, um, all of those things. And, and not to say my parents had it easy on them, they surely didn't, but it was also, a system of we are we're all in this together, mm -hmm. and I think to a degree because we're so overwhelmed with what's going on in our own homes, we forget that okay, you know what? I have a neighbor that might be going through the same thing, or not, or they're going through something I can also help with. Yeah. So it's instilling that, you know what? I'm yes, I need your vote to get to this position because that's that's what the process is. 
but I genuinely want to know how to how to make your life just a little bit better than it was mm. yesterday. And what does that look like? Yeah. Well, great. I, I appreciate your your the thought you've put into this. Um, well, you know what? I'm just so curious about this. This is a special uh, question for me that I bring up a lot because I find it so confusing and befuddling in our voting system. And that is New York's practice of fusion voting. Uh, we're the only state in America to actually use this system of allowing candidates to appear many times on multiple party lines in a single race. And sometimes candidates will show up on your ballot three or four times uh, endorsed by various parties running as a Democrat, working families party candidate, reform party candidate, et cetera, et cetera. And with our state judge candidates who who don't run campaigns and are nominated by the local parties, they'll appear sometimes as Democrats and Republicans. And I find that just so confusing. Uh, what, do, what do you make of fusion voting and why New York continues to do it? Oh, that's such a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I mean, I think what it boils down to is the survival of the the party lines itself, right? So in any yeah. gubernatorial race, you need at least 50,000 votes to remain on the line for the next four years, to remain on the ballot for the next four years. Right. For these, for these smaller third parties that are not Democrat or Republican, Correct. for them to continue to qualify to be on the ballot, they have to get a certain number of votes. Correct. Correct. In every, every gubernatorial election, right? And so- that so I think that's a, a large part of the issue. So it's hey, well, we know this person's gonna win. We know we're going to, you know, this is how we survive. Um, I think also the other part of it is the the other parties don't have a candidate to put up. Um uh, right. as a democratic state with the I think the the Roman edge is about two point five to one, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Uh or would you? All you would have are primaries. Uh, so it's also, I'm not. Also, just just to be clear, I'm not so fond of fusion tickets because I do think it's you know if you're going to run as a Democrat, run as a Democrat. Right. If you run as working families, run as working families. Uh, run as a Republican, run as a Republican. That has always behooved me, but I think it's lack of a candidate. Um, and also survival of the line itself, right? So yeah, I, I I'm I'm ambivalent a little bit because sometimes I'm like, okay, well, there, I really want there to be more than two giant parties in this country or in this state, Democrats and Republicans. That's all you ever hear about. There should be room for other parties, I think. But this sort of glomming on, like when you had Cuomo running on four party lines in the 2018 gubernatorial election. I'm just like, this just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> you know, it, it just really smells of backstairs deals to me. Um, yes, and, you know, if that's, if that's also the process by which one has to get on the ballot, then I think it's changing the process itself, right? So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's a world where there's still fusion voting, but the process to get on that ballot line is a lot more um, is a lot more transparent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you you do have people that disagree with the two party system, and like yourself, feel as though there should be more parties. Okay, how would you get that line? I mean, just because I'm running as a Democrat, I shouldn't be barred from you know another line that feels that also aligns with my ideas and plans. Mm. Uh, 
I know this also sounds different me saying if you're going to run as a Democrat, run as a Democrat, but I'm also saying that I'm I'm going to run as a Democrat. Sure, there's another, you know, there's a multiple multiple party system, but I think the process is flawed as such that it makes it confusing to voters writ large. And I think if we put it out there, um, for making it more transparent, well, at, as to the process to obtain the lines, I think we can institute a better practice of fusion voting. Okay. Okay. Last thing I want to ask you, and then I'll let you go. Um, I was looking at a 2017 article from Medium about um, uh, the voices of, of, of black men who were working in the Bill de Blasio administration. He'd just been elected to a second term and you were you were profiled uh, in this article, and uh, you gave an interesting answer to the question. Um, the question was, thinking back to the start of your career, what would you tell your younger self? And you said, work smarter, not harder. Uh, granted, this is a, a four-year-old article, uh, but uh, <laughs> if you still feel that way, I'm wondering, what does that mean to you? Work smarter, not harder, and, and would you, how would you apply that if you were to serve as city council member? So I think a lot of it is building coalitions, right? No one man is an island. Oh, no one person is an island. Mm -hmm. So I've always believed in working hard, don't get me wrong, and I still do, and still am. But at the same time, it's, for lack of a better term, how to get the most bang for your buck? How mm -hmm. do you make your work work for you, right? You ever heard those quotes or on those commercials, make your money work for you? Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I'm getting let the work that you put in also work for you and pay those dividends. Um, okay. So where you're not burning yourself out, trying to do all the things. Right. You're not trying to take on every single thing. You, yeah. You, you, you seek help. You seek help. You build coalitions. Um, a lot of it is also, we can have pie in the sky ideas or we can have idealistic views, but also, you know, everybody, everybody has idealistic views that's skewed towards them. In order to move forward, we need to be able to sit down, talk it out, and take the best parts of our ideals and put that into something that's tangible and practical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you can work hard to push something that makes absolutely no sense, or you can work smarter and you know push something that's truly transformative, tangible, and you know lead us into the future. Okay. Well, on that note, I will say thank you, Chris Dorosimi, for being on Strong Reception today. I, I really enjoyed the talk. And I want to make sure voters have a chance to um, know where to find out more about you. Uh, you are uh, They can go to your website, chrisforbrooklyn.com. Mm -hmm. And um, do you want to say what your uh, socials are? Uh, my socials on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all Chris for Brooklyn. Okay. Awesome. Well, good luck to you. And uh, thanks again for being on the show. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Chris Dorosimi. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. And I greatly appreciate his time. Uh, remember, voting starts on June 12th in New York's giant municipal primary and closes on June 22nd. Go to voting.nyc to get all the details. And this year, for the first time in New York history, you will get to vote for your top five candidates in five major races. You'll pick them in descending order of preference from one to five in a process known as ranked choice voting. This will apply in the mayor's race, uh, borough president races, 
all the city council races, the controller race, and the race for New York City public advocate. Uh, and this is a big voting innovation. It's been used in other U.S. cities and states and in other countries, and it's designed to ensure our elected leaders win with a majority, which is usually not the case in New York City. Too often, our electeds squeak into office with just a tiny percentage of votes cast. With ranked choice voting, also known as instant runoff voting, if there is no candidate that gets at least 50% of the vote, the votes are automatically retabulated, the candidate with the least first place votes is eliminated, and all the second place candidates chosen behind that candidate are thrown into the mix. And this process repeats until there is a candidate with 50% of the vote plus one. So if you do take advantage of your option to rank candidates in order of preference this primary, you may very well end up having your second or third choice candidates tabulated, and thereby you'll have more of a say in who wins. That's the idea, anyway. There's some doubts as to whether our city's Board of Election can handle it, given their gaff-prone history, and that's a very valid concern. But that is the idea. Hey, I'm talking too much. Go enjoy your day, get vaccinated as soon as you can, and go check out all the other episodes on offer at Strong Reception, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave me a comment at StrongPod on Twitter. And um, hey, I still need a job, so send me some ideas. Um, thanks. Be safe. <laughs>